Good morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Melody Moberg, and I am today's guest preacher. I want to extend a very special welcome to any visitors joining us this morning. I grew up in this congregation, and I am currently training to become a Unitarian Universalist parish minister. I received a Master of Divinity from Seattle University in 2022, and I'm currently preparing to do a hospital chaplaincy internship through Aspirus Hospital in Wausau, which is one of the steps toward ordination. I'm wearing a mask today because I'm allergic to something in our beautiful historic sanctuary. And the mask helps filter these allergens for me. So it might be a bit harder to hear me in the far back of the sanctuary, so you're welcome to come forward if you need to. And please offer a shout out if you can't hear me well. I'm so honored to serve as today's guest preacher. It is good to be together. And I bid you a second good morning. I am Randy Jefferson. 2024 will mark 50 years since Anne and I first began attending services here at First UU. Again, I was checking when people were coming in, and I'm not sure there's anyone I don't know, but if there are any visitors here, certainly a special welcome to you, and welcome to everyone else who came this morning. As most of you know, for a long time, since 1858, this church, which initially was first Universalist and then after merger in the early 60s with the Unitarians, became first UU, has really been the place in central Wisconsin for people who wanted to practice a liberal religious faith to attend. We welcome all people, regardless of where you are on life's journey, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, economic situation. All are welcome here. There's a lot that goes on at First UU between Sunday services, so I'd encourage you to try to look at the church newsletter, or if you're so inclined to use Facebook or Instagram, things that I don't do, Check those out as well to see what's going on and find some kind of event or class that you might want to participate in. There are a few announcements I want to pass on today. The first one is that the second Friday Nighter group, so that would be the 12th of January, will be gathering at the home of Mary and Denny O'Fling. They would appreciate getting some idea about who might be coming, so if you could respond to the church office, either by calling our phone number here or by emailing or using the Facebook page or stopping in and seeing Chris, whatever, to let her know, and if you could do that about a week before or so, that'd be helpful. This is a wonderful way for people who are relatively new 
to our church family to get to know other people and for those of us that have been around for a while to renew some old friendships and acquaintances. So I'd encourage you to think about attending on the 12th of January. Second announcement has to do with Women for Women. Uh, women, women for Women is a, a group whose goal is to help citizens better understand the issues which impact our community and really all communities, help voters make better decisions about what's going on before they go to the polls this coming spring and fall. There's a lot to learn about what's happening in our area, the New Community Partners Campus. Many things are going on there, and this is one way to help learn about that. They have a monthly Zoom meeting call. The next one is going to be January 4th, and then again every first Thursday of the month through the 2nd of May, there will be a Zoom call for the Women to Women group. If you have questions, Again, you can contact the church office to find out more about that. And then the last announcement I'm going to pass on to you is this being the last day of the year, it also means it is the last day of my seven-year stint as the church's treasurer. Tomorrow, I start intensive therapy in living with loss of power and influence. So I'm making it my last official act to thank all of you who have made a pledge for this coming church year. About 40% of our friends and members have. And also to remind and encourage that other 60% to sort of put high, somewhere high on that resolution list for next year to complete their pledge form. We're about a little over 60% of our pledge goal, so we've got a good start. And I always told my children when they were involved in some activity, finish strong. So that's my message to all of you. Let's finish strong and complete our stewardship drive. Now as we begin worship together, it's always nice to greet one another, so why don't we just take a second, stand up, shake hands, give a hug, whatever you'd like to do with one of your neighbors. Let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. I'm going to read the opening words for our chalice light this morning, which are from Kathy A. Huff. Divine spark from sacred dark, symbol of our holy intent, illuminate this hour.
now I ask that we all rise and join in our first hymn, number 350, The Ceaseless Flow of Endless Time. 350. be seated. Today's Time for All Ages will explore the history of New Year's resolutions. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about time. For many ages, people have been measuring time through the idea of a year, which is the amount of time it takes for the Earth to revolve around the sun. Time is pretty interesting. It's supposed to be something that's measurable and uniform and always moves at the same rate forever. But in our daily lives and in the lives of people who lived a long time ago, Time seems to move a little bit differently. From our perspectives, time can slow way down and speed way up. You might remember a time when you were in school toward the end of the school day and you were staring at the clock, just willing for the day to be over as soon as possible. And I bet the second hands on that clock seemed to tick very slowly. But at other times, time seems to move really quickly. This happens often when we're doing something that we love. You might glance at the clock thinking only a few minutes have passed, but when you actually look at it, you realize a lot more time has passed than you thought. You might remember this happening while making art or building Legos or doing something else that you love. This is called a flow state. And so for a long time, people have been marking time in years, noticing when we've gone through all four of the seasons, 
And for a long time, people have been celebrating the beginning of the new year. And a year could really start at any time in the year. And today, many cultures mark the beginning of the year at different times in our calendar. Going back to resolutions, 4,000 years ago, the ancient Babylonians who lived in the Middle East, they celebrated the beginning of the year at the spring equinox. And this is when they started sprouting seeds to plant in the soil. They were an agricultural community. And so the spring was a really important time for them. They believed that they could make New Year's resolutions by making promises to their gods that they would return tools and repay debts to their neighbors. And they believed that if they followed through on these promises to their gods, then the gods would reward them with a fertile harvest. Later, during the Roman Empire, about 2,700 years ago, the Romans changed their calendar from 10 months to 12. And they added a new month called January, which would mark the beginning of the new year. January was named after the god Janus, who was a god with two faces. He had the face of a young man looking in one direction and the face of an old man looking in the opposite direction. And this represents that Janus was the god of beginnings and transitions. He was also the god of doorways. Romans would make offerings and promises to Janus at the beginning of the new year. And like the face of Janus as an old man, they used this opportunity to look back on the year behind and make reflections. And like the face of Janus as a young man, they also used it as an opportunity to look forward toward the year ahead. And we can do this too using the new year as an opportunity to reflect on the year, thinking about what has happened to us, what we're proud of, what we've learned, and we can think about how we want to act in the new year. And these offerings and promises to Janus were like the promises of the Babylonians in that they were promises to a god. And now New Year's resolutions, as we know them now, were first recorded in the early 1800s. I think it's really interesting that people used to make their New Year's resolutions as promises to gods. People don't have a great track record keeping their New Year's resolutions. You might know this. According to a study, Americans have only a 9% chance of following through on their resolutions, and most abandon them after only one week. And many people often make resolutions that have to do with changing their bodies. And while this is popular, I don't recommend it because it can make people feel needlessly bad about themselves. 
Here are some examples of New Year's resolutions. This year, I want to notice things I'm grateful for more often. Or, I want to be kinder to my siblings. Or, I want to be braver with my friends if they say or do something I really don't agree with. It can also be fun to have specific resolutions. One year, I had a lot of fun with a resolution to learn how to roast a whole chicken in the oven. But regardless, New Year's can be a fun time to celebrate, a powerful time for remembering and making plans. And I wish all of us good luck staying up until midnight. And so today, people of all ages are worshiping as a whole community. And so please join in blessing those who may be here or those who are joining online with our children's song. The words are printed in the order of service. And now, please join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer. You might take a moment to close your eyes and to notice your body. And now, move your body to see if you can make yourself 10% more comfortable. Notice where your feet touch the ground and where your body rests on your seat. Feel how gravity presses down on you, a heaviness pressing you toward the floor. And simultaneously, Notice how the top of your head reaches up toward the sky. Reaches toward the sky, filling you with a feeling of lightness and expansion. Take a breath and imagine tension and stress draining out of your body and into the floor. This next invitation is a little playful. I want to invite you to listen into the four corners of this room. See if you can send tendrils of your awareness up into the air around you as you listen. And let these tendrils of awareness activate and just maybe see if you can feel the newness of 2024 
swirling in the air around you? Can you feel or sense some glimmer of newness? Can you feel or sense some glimmer of a new beginning? And let us recenter into this space and this time. Spirit of life, spirit of love, accompany us this day and always. Be with us now and at midnight. Be with us as we reflect on the old year and as we imagine what the new year might hold. Spirit of life in particular, accompany those who dread the new year. Bring comfort to those for whom reflecting on the year behind and the year ahead brings pain or depression or anxiety or hopelessness. Rather than self-denying resolutions, bring us a spirit of gentle self-compassion and acceptance. And may we too hold in our hearts victims of violence and war. May we hold in our hearts all those who are suffering. Holy and sacred mystery, help us turn towards love this day and every day. And to these words, you are invited now to add your own silent prayers and intentions. May it be so, and blessed be. And now, please rise in body or in spirit for hymn number 128, For All That Is Our Life.
Be seated. Let there be an offering to sustain and strengthen this place, which is sacred to so many of us, a community of memory and of hope, for we are now the keepers of the dream. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is really possible because of the generous support of all of you, our friends and members. You may place a gift in the basket as it passes by. You can also visit our website at uuwasa.org to make a one-time or recurring gift with a credit card or debit card. We appreciate the support of all of you. Our reading this morning is For a New Beginning by the poet John O'Donohue. It comes from his collection of blessings entitled To Bless the Space Between Us. In an out-of-the-way place of the heart where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. 
For a long time, it has watched your desire. Feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondering, would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you will be at home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you.
I worked for 10 years as a Unitarian Universalist religious educator in Seattle, Washington. And our congregation used a really sweet curriculum for kindergarten and first grade that was called Spirit Play. This program was all about telling stories. We used dolls and figurines and manipulative materials to tell these stories following the Montessori method. Many of these stories explored our UU principles, and others came from our six sources of inspiration as a religious denomination. Using language accessible to children, these sources are one, wonder and awe, two, the words and deeds of wise people, three, world religions, four, Jewish and Christian teachings in particular, because our faith grew from two Christian denominations historically, five, science and reason, and six, earth-centered teachings. Some of the stories from the UU sources of science and reason, Judeo-Christian teachings, and world religions, some of them had a very special categorization title. And that title was Beginnings and Endings. And the stories categorized under beginnings and endings, they had to do with the creation of the world. They had to do with what might happen at or after death. And they had to do with stories about the end of the world. Beginnings and endings is a phrase that feels powerful to me. It's a great way of describing these disparate sorts of stories, myths, descriptions of the Big Bang, wonderings about death. I'm a trained spiritual director, which is an unusual career. It's a professional role of spiritual accompaniment, of helping people reflect on their spiritual and religious lives through the modalities of deep listening, presence, and reflection. In my work as a spiritual director, I've noticed that beginnings and endings can be a potent theme that comes up in people's lives. As we move through, moving towards new beginnings, we're so often also met with endings. As we grieve endings, beginnings open up simultaneously. Perhaps in the course of a few weeks, the sudden tragic loss of a family member coincides with a joyfully anticipated career change. Joy and loss are two realities of life that are often walked together. I want to begin by lifting up two creation stories. With the book of Genesis, Hebrew scriptures open 
with the first of two creation stories contained in the text. The first one goes, as you may know, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. The book of Genesis was likely written during the Babylonian exile, when Jewish leaders were sent to Babylon. And some scholars believe that this text is referencing a Babylonian creation myth, where the world is created from the primeval chaos of the sea. And like the primeval chaos of the sea, the stuff creation is made of in this passage isn't nothing. It's made of something. The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. The unstructured chaos of deep waters is breathed into creation by God. It's breathed into categories, categories like light and dark. And there's an interesting parallel to this story in the Rig Veda, which is the oldest collection of Hindu sacred scripture. Hymn number 129 of the Rig Veda reads, at first, there was only darkness wrapped in darkness. All this was only unillumined cosmic water, that one which came to be enclosed in nothing, arose at last born of the power of knowledge. This might speak to the origin of Brahma, who is the god of creation. Creation emerges from darkness and water. It doesn't emerge from nothing, but from material that hasn't been created into order or categories yet. We often think of beginnings coming from nothing, a brand new, fresh start, someone creating a brand new invention the myth of the self-made man pulled up by his own bootstraps. But one reality of beginnings and endings is that the beginning is really tied to endings. The beginning is tied to the stuff that came before. Beginnings don't emerge out of nothing. They emerge out of experience and they emerge out of culture and new inventions arise from other inventions and other inventors who came before them. In our reading for A New Beginning, John O'Donohue writes that in the midst of your life, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. And he later continues, though the destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. 
Another truth is that beginnings are often only recognized in retrospect, after the beginning has begun. We might look back on our life and realize that we've already begun something new. New Year's Eve is an interesting time to preach. There's so much that can be said about New Year's and New Year's resolutions. Resolutions can be meaningful and playful. They can be concrete and they can be vague. They offer opportunities for really genuine reflection. But there are so many traps that are bound up in New Year's resolutions too. There's the trap of consumerism, the trap of self-hatred, the trap of the extreme makeover and the fantasy self, and the trap of comparing yourself to others. I'm going to explore a couple of these more in depth. New Year's Eve presents us with the dream of the extreme makeover and the fantasy self. I admit that when I was young, I loved watching makeover shows on TV. And I was also fascinated by before and after pictures in magazines. There's enormous pressure, especially for young people, to picture themselves as a before picture on New Year's Eve and to imagine that after a year of disciplined effort, they can emerge as an after picture, a totally perfected version of themselves the next year. In the book Doppelganger, Naomi Klein argues that the current self and the fantasy self exist as doppelgangers of each other, evil, unsettling twins. And this is especially true in the world of diet and fitness. The fantasy self, that uncanny look-alike, haunts our current self like a ghoul. It creates needless suffering. And the fantasy self can also be dangerous. Believing, for example, that you can achieve perfect health through diet and exercise alone that can lead to a surprising callousness and cruelty. Because if your own health comes through disciplined effort, then people who are sick are sick because they aren't disciplined enough. The trap of the extreme makeover and the fantasy self causes so many people to hate their bodies and to also judge the bodies of other people. This season sparks a furious quest to force the body to fit into idealized standards of thinness, of beauty, of gender expression. And this all too often creates self-hate and discomfort, discomfort living with the realities of what is right now. And this whole cultural environment reinforces anti-fat bias. I've been inspired 
by recent waves of activism and media emerging to counter anti-fat bias. Fat activists are coming forward to assert that diet culture is actually a scam and that all people deserve rights and dignity regardless of their size because people with larger bodies encounter discrimination that is both interpersonal and structural. And this is especially true in medical settings. Some prominent authors who explore body positivity, body neutrality, and fat acceptance include Roxanne Gay, Aubrey Gordon, Jessamine Stanley, and Lindy West. On New Year's Eve, we also may encounter the trap of comparing yourself to others. And I think this is especially true of comparing yourself to your friends on social media. Social media is, of course, only a highlights reel of other people's lives. People don't usually post on Instagram or Facebook about their boredom or their loneliness or how it feels to stay home instead of going on an opulent vacation. There's a common phrase, don't compare your insides to someone else's outsides. When we compare ourselves to friends on social media, we're in some ways comparing ourselves to a constructed persona, to a phantom that's curated to be likable and to look successful. And that comparison is unfair and it will never feel good. I participated recently in an online retreat exploring the dark night of the soul. I did this through the Celtic spirituality program, Abbey of the Arts. And in this retreat, I learned about an amazing dinner party created by Richard, Richard Bruxwort Colligan. He writes, years ago, we started a tradition of celebrating the winter solstice with a dark party. The dark potluck featured a great variety of black and brown foods. I recall pumpernickel bread, barbecued venison, blackberries, dark heart chocolate, and rich wine. Our candlelit living room invited our friends to be solemn witnesses as we, one by one, told the truth about how difficult the last year has been. About how difficult the last year has been. And we felt better, he writes, so relieved to have spoken the truth and to have been heard on this longest night of the year. And there ends the reading. Imagine, just imagine how it could be to so frankly acknowledge our sorrows and disappointments while gathering in community in this unique setting. As a culture, we love celebrating beginnings. 
but we're not good with endings, and we're definitely not good with times in between. Those transitional times, which are neither beginnings nor endings, we like things to be neatly categorized, and when they aren't, we feel uncomfortable. Our culture makes us bad with endings because our culture doesn't like grief. There's pressure to get back to work as quickly as possible after a death, or to put on a smile and a positive front in front of other people, to not talk about our illnesses, our losses, our many loved ones who have died. But the paradox is that if we don't mourn the end of what came before, we can't truly open to the newness of what's coming next. And then, of course, there are our collective beginnings and endings. It can feel like we're witnessing a lot of global endings every time we turn on the news. And yet, also at once, in the midst of the endings, new beginnings, nascent justice movements, small moments of hope. In recent years, I've begun observing Advent, which is the liturgical season leading up to Christmas. And I've primarily practiced this through reading a collection of Advent reflections that's put together by the progressive Christian magazine, G's. This year's collection of Advent readings is boldly called Prayers for the End of the World. And these meditations and poems on the end of the world, which name endings and climate catastrophe and grief, also name the seeds of life in the midst of it all. Many people feel a renewed sense of hope paradoxically in speculative fiction about the apocalypse or about climate catastrophe. This is a new genre of books that's coming out. And imagining worst case scenarios can help people imagine too how people might survive and how they might enact beloved community even in its midst. We have a common narrative that disasters will unravel the human within us. Without laws and rules, people will turn on each other, enacting violence and cruelty. And these are common news stories that we see a lot in the wake of disaster. Anxious stories about what might happen and anxious stories about property damage. But disaster doesn't automatically unravel our humanity. In fact, in A Paradise Built in Hell, the author Rebecca Solnit explores the many ways that people care for each other in the wake of disaster. They surprisingly rise to the occasion at the worst moment of their lives and end up creating community and care. There's so much wisdom that can be found in this category of stories, beginnings and endings. 
stories from world religions about the beginning of the world, stories from science fiction and speculative fiction about apocalypse, stories wondering about what happens after death, or maybe even stories in your own families about how people show up to support each other in the wake of a disaster. I find it interesting that different religions have different story arcs between their beginnings and their endings. Their stories about the beginning of the world and the end of the world. There's a fancy theological word called eschatology, which means the doctrine of last things. It's a word to describe ideas about the end of the world. And in many forms of Christianity, time is depicted as a straight line from the beginning of the world outlined in Genesis to the end of the world described in Revelation. The story is that things will get worse and worse, and then Jesus comes back, and then the world ends. And this eschatology, this belief about the end of the world, is really influential to a lot of conservative Christians. And I think learning about it can help contextualize a lot of aspects of American culture. Since the world is supposed to get worse and worse, our world getting worse might not be a bad thing. And since the world is going to end, then we don't have to worry about protecting the world, protecting the environment. But time being a straight line isn't the only way of imagining time in religious contexts. In the religion of Hinduism, time is seen as a spiral. People are born and they die, but souls are reincarnated to live lifetime after lifetime. And on a cosmological level, the universe is created by the god Brahma, maintained by the god Vishnu, and destroyed by the god Shiva. But then, after that, after the universe is destroyed, it's created again by Brahma, and this cycle of universes continues. And time isn't a straight line, but an endless cycle of universes being created and maintained and destroyed. And these cycles of universes are then measured in terms of broader cycles. There are cycles within cycles within cycles. As I shared in the Time for All Ages, the different ways people think about time is really interesting. And this spiral understanding of time, I think, I think it lines up with our lived experiences of time. We don't mentally experience time as always moving forward at one rate forever. Without clocks, we experience time as sunrise and sunset as the amount of time between planting a seed and reaping the harvest, as the cyclical journey through seasons and holidays to the next year and the next one and the next. And this annual holiday of the new year invites us to look forward and backward simultaneously 
like the god Janus in the Roman pantheon. And I'd like to invite you this season to maybe look a little further into the future and a little further into the past. And maybe think of your life and development as more of a spiral than a straight line. More of a spiral than a straight line. We often loop back to the lessons we need to hear over and over. And we are met with many cycling opportunities to be better people again and again, and to choose turning towards love time after time after time. And sometimes seeing the broader ways we've grown into ourselves over time, sometimes that's a better New Year's activity than counting how many books you read in the last year. I wonder how we, have made, we may have grown in wisdom or experience or resilience or nuance as time has spiraled on. I wonder what new cycles might rest within us like seeds. New beginnings quietly forming in the words of John O'Donohue, waiting until we are ready to emerge. May we trust the promise of openings, even when our destination is not yet clear. May it be so, blessed be, and amen. And now, please rise in body or in spirit to join in singing hymn number one, May Nothing Evil Cross This Door.
Please remain standing. Reach out if someone's near you and hold a hand. If not, hold them gently in your heart. As I share these words from T.S. Eliot with you, the poet writes, what we call a beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. You may be seated. Enjoy the post food. We'll see you afterwards for coffee. <laughs>